First Kings, and today we are looking chapters 16 and 17. Just flipping there in my Bible now. Amen. We appreciate you joining us today. If you are here along for the ride, please let us know in the comments so that uh, we can know that you're here. And um, also just wanted to give you a quick shout out this morning um, that we are going to be also recording these Bible and Brew sessions uh, starting today, and uh, they are going to be posted to our church podcast. So uh, if that is news to you, you did not know that our church had a podcast, uh, this might be a good opportunity for you to not just watch my beautiful face every morning, but uh, would be also a good way for you to listen to these later on at your leisure. Um, and so we would appreciate that. Uh, I'll be recording these and then posting them immediately after the recording each morning. And so, hallelujah, God is good this morning. I want to also uh, just share with you the link. Uh, hopefully you can see that. Just posted the link to our Bible reading plan in case you did not already have that. And uh, what that is, is the... Um, that is the link that you can open up in the Bible app from version, And uh, it, by using that link, it means you can join up and uh, mark as you're reading along with us. So, amen. Um, over the weekend, uh, hopefully you have stayed up to date with your Bible reading plan. Just, uh, just going through and uh, reviewing, as, uh, as I'm talking here, some of the pages, the chapters that we missed in between over the weekend. And um, it's really, um, it's a sad story, unfortunately. Uh, it's the history of Israel, which is, um, it's a history of roller coaster ride of victory and defeat. And really what it is, it's a roller coaster ride of obedience and rebellion. And so um, after Solomon uh, he, of course, his greatest achievement is that he builds the temple. We've read about that all last week. And then he, um, yeah, his heart was turned from the Lord because of his many wives. We talked about that on Friday. And, uh, and then, uh, begins the long saga of the kings that followed. Not all of them were great. Um, there was Jeroboam, there was a rebellion, uh, from the northern tribes, which began what is known in Jewish history as the divided kingdom. The northern tribes separated from the southern tribe of Judah. Uh, they began worship golden, worshiping golden calves again. Uh, you'd think they would have learned their lesson, but no, each generation has to make its own decision to serve God. That's a great lesson for all of us. Um, just as Ronald Reagan, who said that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction, uh, it's also true that obedience to God uh, is never more than one generation away from extinction. Um, we do not pass it to our children or to our disciples in the bloodstream. It must be inherited. It must be fought for. Um, obedience is something that we must teach. Uh, Jesus said to go into all the nations and preach the gospel, making disciples. Discipleship is a process of teaching. 
All right, Andre's here with us. Good morning, brother. Glad to have you with us. And um, so uh, just want to pick up with uh, chapter 16 as we have uh, in the, the last few chapters here over the weekend. Uh, there, There's King Jeroboam. There's a judgment on King Jeroboam just turning to our chapter for today, which is chapter 16 in 1 Kings. So if you would, grab your brew. And your Bible. And we are going to turn to um, page 589 in my Bible, <laughs> the Life Application Study Bible, which First Kings chapter 16. And the Bible says these words, And the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha, saying, Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, and have made my people Israel sin, to provoke me to anger with their sins, surely I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That is not a good thing. The, the dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Baasha and dies in the city. The birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields." Now the rest of the acts of Baasha, what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Baasha rested with his fathers and was buried in Tirzah. Uh, then Elah, his son, reigned in his place. And the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha and his house, because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, in being like the house of Jeroboam, and because... He killed them. All right, so that is the entire reign of King Basha. Um, just to give you kind of a uh, a overview of um, of the kings of the Israel uh, Israelite nation. So uh, after the kingdom was divided in two, northern and southern, basically they're on two separate tracks, right? So this is all happening in about the nine hundreds before Christ. So Jeroboam uh, was in about 930. Nadab was about 900. Basha was about uh, uh, also in the 900s. Okay, Nadab 909, Basha 908. Very short reigns of these men. And then uh, we're going to be reading about Elah. So these, this is all the northern kingdom, northern kingdom. And uh, this is a, a history, unfortunately, of uh, wicked kings. In the southern kingdom, at the same time, you have uh, Rehoboam, then you have Abijam, and you have Asa, all of these at the same time as these kings in the north. And uh, they are uh, not just uh, separated and being friendly to each other. No, there's a reason why they're separated. And really the reason is because one is committed to the things of God, more or less, and the other one is not. So uh, the, the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, um, is, where, is where it's more common to find those who are serving the Lord uh, rather than those who are rebelling against him. So lesson, lesson from that, what can we learn? In every congregation, <laughs> there may be a division between those who are serving the Lord and those who are not. Um, this can even be divided into our own households, can't it? In every household, there are those who 
want to serve God with all of their heart, with all of their mind, and all of their strength. And there are also those that you have to drag out of bed to get to church. (laughs) I'm looking at you, teenagers. Uh, Not every teenager, of course. I got saved as a teenager. But, you know, we, we know the struggle. Church kids don't always want to serve the Lord. And it can be this struggle between those who have a heart for God and those who don't. And uh, I think it's very um, helpful to understand that that is a struggle that's going on for, for centuries. All right, so let's read about King Elah. First Kings 16, uh, verse 8. In the 26th year of King Asa, King Judah. Uh, okay, so that's the southern kingdom. Now we're reading about the king of Elah in the northern king. Elah, the son of Basha, became king over Israel and reigned for two years in Tirzah. Now his servant Zimri, commander of of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Tirzah. And Zimri went in and struck him, killed him, in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. All right, Uh, drinking uh, till you get drunk. Never turns out really well, does it? Then it came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on his throne, that he killed all the household of Basha. He did not leave him one male, neither his relatives nor his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Basha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Basha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elah his son, by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin in provoking the Lord God to Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Elah, all that he did, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Israel. Okay, so you have uh, this procession of kings in the northern kingdom and um, most of them um, are disobedient to the Lord. All right, so then you have uh, Zimri, this is chapter... 16 verse 15 a 27th year king of asa king of judah zimri reigned in tirza um so, yeah i'm just gonna skip ahead a little bit then we have omri uh verse 21 the people of israel were divided in two parts half of the people followed tibni to make him king half of them followed omri but the people who followed omri prevailed over the people who followed tibni so tibni died and omri reigned all right, so then we have Ahab. Ah, now we come to some very interesting stuff as King Ahab takes the throne. Now we're in verse 29, 1 Kings 16. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, son of Omri, similar story here, did evil in the sight of the Lord But what's not similar is this, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, that he took Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. All right, so this is now getting to an extreme. This is a pattern that we see oftentimes in the word of God and in human history, really, is that things get worse and worse and worse until they come 
to a tipping point, right? So this is like the tipping point of disobedience for the northern kingdom of Israel. And it is when Ahab becomes king that he marries Jezebel. And we're going to read about uh, a little bit more about Jezebel and the wicked things that she did. But this duo who is on the throne in in Israel um, is the, the disobedience is not just now mistaken. Now it is active rebellion against God. It is active worship of Baal, the false god. There's a temple that has been built to Baal. There is a wooden image. And it says that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So, okay, you have to wonder, right? You have to wonder about our current culture. When do we get to this point? Because it's not a question of if, it is a question of when. When do we as Western culture, more specifically, when do we as a nation in America, when do we come to a tipping point? When is it that God looks at what is happening in our nation and says, I can't take this anymore. I can't take the abortion clinics continuing to run, no matter how, how often you know one party out of the two is, uh, is speaking against them. And yet somehow they're still getting uh, funding from the federal government uh, for, for all of these decades. Um, and millions of babies each year being sacrificed to the God of convenience. Don't let me get off on a tangent here. But um, how, how long will the Lord continue to put up with the wickedness, with the hypocrisy, with the, um, the refusal to worship God, right? The refusal even to acknowledge God. And now we're seeing that the, the idols of convenience, the idols of rebellion, the idols, uh, see, see, so Ahab re- represents for us a tipping point when he joins himself with Je- Jezebel and, uh, and they set up this uh, temple to Baal in Israel. All right, so all of that is set up now for 1 Kings chapter 17. So that's a long lead up, isn't it? A lead up of all of these wicked kings leading up to Ahab, who marries Jezebel, and then, um, and then we have the great uh, uh, ministry of Elijah, and this is where it starts to get really helpful and really useful for us as people of God. So here we are, First Kings chapter seventeen, and uh, this is a chapter that has been preached about uh, a million times. Uh, but it's still helpful and illustrative to us. All right, so here we have First uh, Kings 17, verse 1. Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, and by, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it shall be there that you drink from the brook. I've commanded ravens to feed you there. All right, so here's the first time we hear about Elijah. Elijah the prophet. And he, uh, it, isn't it true that when great evil arises... Oftentimes, God raises a great man of God to confront it, or a great movement to confront it. 
And so um, this is the confidence that we have as people of God in living in perhaps wicked times, right? Probably more wicked than in the last hundred years, right? And so even though we have technological advancement, even though we have the ability to do Facebook Live and Bible teaching online and all of these wonderful things, at the same time, we're seeing our culture descend into madness and chaos, aren't we? And it's because, it's not just because it's random, it's not just a happenstance, this is all a a sign of greater rebellion against God. These are What we're seeing today is the fruit of seeds that have been planted over the last hundred years in our culture. But with great evil that rises, there is also a great movement of God that comes to confront it. And that's what is represented here by Elijah. So Elijah um, calls out to Ahab and to the kingdom of Israel. He says, there's going to be a drought Um, A drought in the ancient world is, of course, a painful and difficult thing to deal with, isn't it? Uh, When the rain stops falling, the crops stop growing, it means certain death for many, many people. That's a painful thing, no doubt. Uh, But they have brought it upon themselves because uh, of their own disobedience against God. All right, so uh, let me just take a pause here uh, as we begin thinking about Elijah. Uh, I see Andres here with us, but I don't see anybody else. Has anybody else joined us in these last 20 minutes? Would love to hear from you. Want to take the opportunity to invite you to our Bible reading plan. I'll show that link once again. That is on the Version site or Bible app. All right, so here's Elijah beginning to confront now the kingdom of Um, of Israel, and specifically the king, the wicked king, Ahab. So, um, verse 5, so Elijah went and did, hey, what's up, Amanda? Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook and after it, uh, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. All right, so here is the first amazing thing about the life of Elijah. Uh, Rob Palacios, good morning. Welcome, welcome in. We're glad that you're here. So ravens, let's talk about ravens for a second. Uh, how many don't like ravens? Me. <laughs> They're creepy, right? Um, I think it was... Um, what was the author? Edgar Allan Poe, who wrote the poem about the raven, right? And um, the thing about ravens is that they're scavengers, right? They're scavenger birds. Whenever you find a dead animal on the ground, ravens will be close by. They are a ravenous, that's where the word comes from, ravenous beast. They're like, uh, what ravens represent is, uh, is a creature that is out only for itself. So the fact that God purposed ravens to provide for Elijah proves to us that God can uh, can use any means necessary. Now, this ought to be very encouraging for any preachers who are watching or anybody who is overseeing church finances, okay? Here's why. Because God can use even the selfish human hearts to bring sustenance and provision into the church. That's going to preach right there. 
that even the ravens, even those who are in this life only for themselves, God can cause them to provide for the house of God. That ought to be encouraging to somebody. Those ravens represent the, the you know, even the sinner, right? Uh, in the ministry of Jesus, he says, I'll cause men to give into your, into your ministry. I will cause men to do that. I will open heaven's windows. And so we thank God for all of those good and godly people who open up their hearts and their wallets to the church each and every week. That is a beautiful and wonderful thing. But God says, you know, the provision for the man of God, for the church of God, for the kingdom of God on earth, that provision doesn't only come from the good and godly people. It also comes from the ravens to provide for the needs of the ministry. That's good news. All right, so verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Again, here, this is a story about God's provision to the prophet. Uh, But it's not just a story of provision to the prophet. It's also a story of how God's going to provide for a poor widow. All right, so I'm going to spend five minutes on this, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament. All right, so we have uh, uh, verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to, to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a cake from it first. Bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. What a beautiful story. I am not going to take credit for this. It was Pastor Nigel Brown uh, who preached an incredible message. I think it was in a conference that I heard this first. But this story reveals to us the symbiotic relationship between the minister and those being ministered to in every church. There is a symbiotic relationship. What does that mean? Symbiosis is the state of two uh, distinct creatures that are uh, that are that have a relationship that profits for both. Okay, um, there are examples of this in the animal kingdom, right? Uh, that one one creature. Uh, just for example, there there are there are certain kinds of fish in the coral reefs that act as basically the ocean's uh, uh, car wash, <laughs> and so um, you know larger fish or sea sea turtles can can go to this certain place. And they'll park themselves on top of a coral reef, and these little these other little fish come and basically uh, eat off all of the uh, you know all of the 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 things that have gotten attached to them. They'll uh, if there's any injuries, they will uh, they will uh, 
there's something in their in their mouths that will disinfect and cleanse and purify and it's basically like a car wash for these larger fish and and um, the deal is that the larger fish don't eat those particular smaller fish because they know there's a symbiotic relationship so um, they both walk away from this this interaction they both being they both walk away being benefited by the presence of the other this is what it means to have a symbiotic relationship. This is what it is in the church, too, in the kingdom of God. There is a symbiotic relationship between uh, between leadership of the church and those who are being led, between the shepherd and the flock. Okay, and what that is, I as a pastor, if I'm doing my job correctly, I should be benefiting from the ministry that I am providing to the people. That is not an evil thing. We want our pastors to get a salary. Why is that? Because just like Elijah here, uh, it's interesting to me, isn't it, that Elijah, when God is going to provide for his bodily needs, he doesn't send him to some rich palace, does he? He doesn't send him to to uh, to Prince, what's his name, down the road. Doesn't even send him to the house of the king, because we know that all that Elijah is doing is a judgment against King Ahab. But he does send him to the widow, right? You would think, man, like God, are you sure this is the right house? Uh, this lady doesn't have anything. <laughs> but that's because this widow is going to also benefit from his ministry. So just like, um, just like the church, there is a um, there is a symbiotic relationship that when when a, when leadership ministers to the people, that there ought to be a, a flow of uh, earthly needs that go back into the into the leadership life or into into the needs of the church um, but what that what that provides then for the other side is that is that the widow she has to have faith doesn't she she has to have faith to believe the words of God that are delivered through the man of God and she has to be obedient but when she does that she gets an even better miracle doesn't she she gets the miracle of provision she gets the same miracle and even a better one that that the uh, it is the miracle of uh, a perseverance right Pre god is going to preserve her the jar of flour the, the or the bin of flour the jar of oil they do not run dry this is god's miracle to her uh on account of her faith and her obedience to the word of the lord so do you see that relationship that they both need each other the, the Elijah needs the widow to believe him and act upon his word, right? So that's why he has to minister well to her. He can't just uh, be disconnected from her. He has, to, he has to minister well. He has to have his heart involved to inspire this woman to believe God, doesn't he? He can't just half-heartedly come in there and make demands. That's not how this works. He has to truly minister to her. But when he does, she believes God. She obeys the word that is delivered. And then she uh, she makes the cake for him first. She provides for his bodily needs. And then God provides miraculously for her and her son. So it's, it's a beautiful story here of the symbiotic relationship between uh, shepherd and flock between, uh, and, and you can use that same illustration, right? Um, so any shepherd who has a group of sheep, right? He is the first one who gets to benefit from shearing them, right? <laughs> uh, 
the shearing of the sheep is a, is a scary thing for those little sheep. They don't know what's going on, um, but they end up benefiting from it. And the um, the wool that is harvested, guess who gets to use that first? It's the minister. It's the shepherd, right? So he can use it to make clothing, make socks, to make some profit. And um, and that is a, a beautiful symbiotic relationship. And, and we should not uh, we should not balk at that in, in any way. All right, I hope I'm making sense for everybody. Um, so with that, uh, there's another beautiful miracle in chapter 17 here about Elijah uh, reviving the widow's son. There's a whole nother lesson there, uh, but we don't have time this morning. So we're going to jump to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 10, if you would join me there. Please, um, if you have any comments or uh, feedback, uh, I would love to hear that in the comment section right now. Uh, I love to to know that people are listening and people uh, are receiving the things that, that the Word of God is serving up to us. Hallelujah. All right, so we're in Acts chapter 10. And this is a very, very important portion of Scripture. Uh, as we're going to pick up in verse 34. This is, uh, this is the preaching uh, to Cornelius. And so if you remember at the beginning of chapter 10, uh, Cornelius, or, or rather Peter, uh, receives a vision from God. And it's this very strange vision about uh, all of the unclean, ceremonially, ceremonially unclean animals that God commands him to eat, which is really weird for Peter. Because, oh, no, 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 Lord, please, no, you don't make me do this. I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm kosher. I, I need to, you know, I need to be obedient to the Lord. And, and God is teaching Peter a lesson that, um, that there is coming a time very quickly, Peter, that you're going to be needing to stretch your mind out a little bit. And, you know, that's true for all of us. If the kingdom is going to go forward, we're going to have to break out beyond our comfort zone once in a while, aren't we? Um, very rarely does anything good when you're in your uh, does anything good happen while we are in our comfort zones but when god breaks us out of our comfort zones miracles can happen and that's exactly what happens here as god uh, leads peter to preach to cornelius this is verse 34 acts chapter 10 peter opened his mouth and said in truth i perceive that god shows no partiality but in every nation whomever uh, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a, on a tree. God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly, not only to the people, but to witness chosen before God, uh, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter here. And while Peter was speaking these words, all right, so this is his message 
to the house of Cornelius. This is a basic gospel message here. While he was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because why were they so astonished? Why were they so amazed? Well, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speaking with tongues and magnify God. This was mind-blowing to the Jews that were there this day. They had not seen this before. They had not anticipated this. They had not thought about this. They had not prepared for this. They thought, surely God would not want to save the Gentiles. This gospel is for Jews, isn't it? And, uh, and God began to blow the minds of all who were there that day, to blow the mind of Peter as well. Can I remind you, God will blow your mind with who he wants to save. There are people in your city, in your family, that you never expected God to move upon them. But you need to pray for them. You need to minister to them. You need to obey God for them. Some of you um, watching this or listening to this, um, God is challenging you now. Because uh, Peter never thought in a thousand years that he would be preaching to Gentiles and that they would be getting filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues. Listen to what Peter says then. He sees them, he hears them speaking with tongues. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Naturally, they wanted him to stay and teach. So um, this is the beautiful story of the Holy Spirit for the first time falling on the Gentiles. And uh, Peter, he makes the connection immediately. He says, who can forbid that these, these people are just as saved as we are? They've received the same Holy Spirit as we have. And so we have to confirm that their faith by exercising the baptism in water. And uh, we have to make them a part of us. Now, there's a lot of challenges there, aren't there? Because there's cultural pressures, there's, you know, there's all kinds of under undertones of racism and bigotry that have crept into the Jewish people. And so now they're having to confront the their stereotypes. They're having to confront the fact that they don't really like these other people. These other people have persecuted them, no doubt, in the past. And so now they're having to allow these people to come in and be part of who they are. And there's a challenge there. But I want to tell you, this is really, really important in the hour that we're living in. Um, in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. In Christ, there is no uh, Israel or uh, Samaritan. In Christ, there is no black or white or green or purple or blue, right? We are all one body of Christ. We are united together in him. And that is a fantastic message that the church needs to know about and needs to proclaim, especially in this hour, especially in our nation right now, where there are divisions, there are, um, there are tensions, uh, uh, but there, there shouldn't be in the church of Jesus Christ. Who can forbid them water? Uh, Peter, Peter immediately throws out all of his preconceived notions 
and he understands the vision that God gave to him was about receiving the Gentiles into the church, into the house of God, into the body of Christ. And God wants us to unify. It glorifies God that we unify together in him. Division and strife only come from below. Chaos and violence only come from below. But unity and uh, and a dynamic uh, synergy, that is what comes from above. And I want to encourage you all today uh, to live for God, to unify together with your church, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters. We have one Father. We've been saved by one Savior. We have the same Spirit that unifies us together in faith. And uh, we ought to celebrate that. We can have unity in our diversity. And that is a beautiful thing that we ought to celebrate. So uh, we're out of time this morning. I hope that you uh, finish up your Bible reading plan for today. Um, The other chapters are Psalm 134, also Proverbs 17, 9 through 11. And uh, go ahead and finish that up today. God's going to help us. And we'll be back here again tomorrow, uh, right around 8 a.m. on Bible and Brew. God bless you guys and have a great day.